Welcome to Brighton Adventure Story Podcast. Chapter 22. Dotted Lines. The rain started to fall on Sunday. Slowly at first, fine drops whisked up by the wind. Jenny put her waterproof on to take Teddy for a walk after breakfast. He didn't seem to mind the moisture accumulating in his curly coat. She dropped a rat relief package off with Zen and Bobby, then walked the long way round to the Sentinelm. Its gnarled bark was black with damp. Oliver and Ziggy were standing on the far side of the wide trunk, looking miserable while getting some protection from the wind-driven mist. They had nothing to report, except for a large number of worms wriggling up to enjoy the wet grass. No long man, no polecats. Jenny took over and stood by the tree for the next hour. She stomped around and threw sticks for Teddy to keep warm. It was such a change from the weeks of hot sun, but it was not unusual weather for late spring in Brighton. She wished she'd put an extra layer on and zipped her waterproof coat all the way up. There was a bulge in the pocket. She put her hand in and pulled out a pair of green knitted gloves the ones given to her by the Oratel. The thin black gloves she was already wearing, for virus reasons, were cold and damp. She pulled them off and put the rat-knitted green pair on instead. They were soft and warm and a perfect fit. Wool was not the best material to wear in the wet, and Jenny expected to have sopping wet hands within a few minutes, so she tried to keep them tucked up under her coat sleeves. At the end of the hour, Wilf and Laurie turned up on their bikes. She left them to watch the elm tree and took Teddy back to Mrs. Perry's. Jenny was wet through, but her hands were still warm and dry. The rain posed another problem. James was coming over in his exercise time to look at the map. They had planned to sit on the grass in Preston Park, but that was no good now it was so wet. It might be possible to sneak him up to her room, but that was risky with both her parents around. She had an idea and went into the kitchen to get the car keys. To her surprise, Annabel was sitting at the kitchen table with a mug of coffee. Jenny couldn't remember the last time her sister had been up this early on a Sunday morning. I knew I shouldn't have helped you, Annabel said. I knew it would ruin everything. All I need now is for Mum and Dad to notice the dent in the car and make my misery complete. I'm guessing you weren't out all night at the club, Jenny said. It's shut, locked up, no more club, no more apprentices, no more long man. What am I going to do for fun now? Jenny ignored the question. The long man has gone, she said, for good. No one's seen him for days. Not that I'll miss him, but I will miss the vape juice he brought us. What about the journeymen? Most of them have fluttered away too, Annabel said, flicking a hand dismissively but there's still a few around, finally getting their feet wet doing something secret, or at least something that none of us apprentices are worth knowing about. Jenny almost felt sorry for her big sister. Almost. Getting their feet wet, she asked. What does that mean? I don't know, trying something new, Annabel said. That's what Anwar called it. He's good friends with one of the journeymen that's given up, said a few of them stayed to get their feet wet in something. Do you know anything about what the long man was planning? Jenny asked hopefully. All I know is that I was having fun, and then you and your boyfriend stuck your noses in, and now the club is gone. What am I going to do for the rest of lockdown? 
Jenny was tempted to share her origami books, but decided to wait until her sister was in a better mood. She took the car keys from the basket on the microwave and left Annabelle glumly cradling her coffee. Outside, the mist had turned into a drizzle, which was being blown sideways by the wind. Jenny unlocked the car and sat in the driver's seat with the map in her lap. James rolled into view on his bike, which he parked against the front of her house, before Jenny waved him over to the car. I brought a present, he said, getting in, for the car. He took out a transparent plastic suction hook and stuck it with a clack to the inside of the windscreen. It was bigger than Jenny expected, almost as big as the rubber end of a sink plunger. It had a big, grippable hook on the back, too. Jenny stared at his face. Around his eyes was a rainbow of colours. It was smeared, rather slapdash, on his eyelids and cheekbones and running down his face. "'Are you wearing eye makeup?' she asked, almost laughing. "'What?' he said, stretching up to look in the rearview mirror. He groaned when he saw himself and hurriedly started to rub his eyes clean. "'It's from the coloured glass I was using yesterday,' he said between wipes. "'Felt tip. It's been there for nearly two days. That's why my mum's been looking at me strangely. She could have said.' "'Perhaps she thought you'd done it on purpose. A new look,' Jenny said, still smiling. "'Come on, let's look at the map.' She unfolded the map onto the dashboard. The old yellowed cloth spread perfectly smooth with no creases at all. It felt warm and supple. James held the left-hand edge. The map was as wide as the car. Are those the gloves from the Oratel? he asked. She hadn't noticed that she was still wearing them. She touched her cheek with the soft wool. It was perfectly dry, not a hint of dampness. Yes. She pulled them off and put them away. Don't use any filters yet, James said. Let's just look at it in normal light. The two children pored over every inch of the map, like an old couple on a driving tour lost on the back roads of the 1990s. James's eyes picked up a few things that Jenny hadn't seen, like the little clock symbols. They looked more like sundials to her. Then they tried the colour filters. James pulled out an old pair of reading glasses with little pegs stuck on the frames to hold makeshift coloured plastic lenses. Jenny had a mix, a cut-up plastic bottle, an old pair of red sunglasses, and various other tinted plastic items. They kept coming back to the green and blue layers. They were the ones that made the most sense. James was adamant that the blue lines were the rivers. Jenny was not so sure. They keep turning the wrong way, he said in frustration. But it can't be a coincidence that they run under the clock towers, just like the sewers and the Wellsbourne caverns. Why are there three blue lines, Jenny asked, squinting through the bottom of a blue plastic pencil sharpener. The Wellsbourne only has one tributary, and that comes from Lewis. It only has one that we know of, James said. I do wish that they didn't keep doubling back on each other. Wait. He pulled a section of the map towards him. Look, he said excitedly, pulling off the modified reading glasses. Here, where it bends, look at the normal layer. Jenny looked. And, she said, without the filter, I can't see the river at all. No, look at my finger. What's under it? He was pointing almost exactly at one of the dashed lines. Jenny looked through the sharpener again. Then she found another U-turn in a blue line that corresponded exactly with one of the dotted lines. It was a definite pattern. It's like if we took parts of the map between the lines, Jenny said, thinking out loud, 
and put them together, then it might make more sense. Do you think we should cut along the dotted lines? James asked. Jenny didn't reply. The drizzle outside had morphed into actual drops. They drummed on the roof of the car. The thought of cutting the map up seemed wrong to Jenny. Then she had the flash of an idea. Wait here, she said, checking the wing mirror before opening the door. She left James in the car and ran back to her house, up the stairs and into her room, grabbed the book from her desk and ran back out. She shut the car door with a bang. Look at this, she said, flipping through the first pages of the book. These instructions, dotted and dashed lines, just like the map. What is that book? James asked. It's the works of Hideo Komatsu, she said. An origami book my mum got me. Some of the folding diagrams are so complicated that he uses dotted and dashed lines for valley and mountain folds. For what folds? James said. And who is Hideo Komatsu? Hideo, Jenny corrected. Komatsu. He's an origami artist. He's not the only one that uses dots and dashes. It's standard. Let me show you. She found a dotted line on the map and traced it with her finger. If I'm right, this is a valley fold, which means that the line forms the bottom of a valley when you make the fold. She dragged a corner of the map over toward James so that the dotted line was hidden inside the fold. But this one, she pointed to a dashed line on a part of the map that was still exposed, is a mountain, which means that we have to fold the other way, leaving that as the top of the mountain. Tuck that edge under, will you? James tucked the far edge under. This time, after the fold, the dotted line was still visible on the crease edge. James took the origami book and thumbed through the pages. Whoa, he said. That horse looks amazing. And the lion. You think that the map will turn into an animal? I don't know, she said. But it's not that easy. You've got to get the folds in the right order. For example... She unfolded the first valley fold. Look under here. There's a whole load more dotted and dashed lines that still need folding. We have to work out which ones to do first. You mean you will? James tapped a finger on the car's clock. It's time for me to leave. Don't forget to check the chat. We'll get the rest of the gang on this too. He put his colour filter glasses back in his bag, got out and closed the door. The plastic sucker hook fell off the window and bounced onto the seat. Jenny quickly folded the map and put it under her coat. Thinking of Annabelle, she grabbed the sucker and went round to the front of the car. In the rain, the dents didn't look so bad. There was one big one right in the middle that was the worst. She slammed the sucker down right on top of the raindrops in the centre of the dent. Then she gave it a hard yank. The metal popped outwards with a whomp. Good as new. Getting the sucker off was not so easy. In the end, she managed to slide it to the edge of the bonnet. When it hit the gap, it lost its grip and came off easily. Back in her room, she laid the map out on her bed. This time, when she looked at it, she concentrated on the dotted and dashed lines. They crisscrossed the map, making strange, irregular polygons between them. It was hard to imagine that they could be folded nicely into any kind of shape. In her origami book, the crease patterns of each model were shown. For the hardest ones, the crease patterns were way more complicated than the lines on the old map. Hideo Komatsu's lines, however, were all regular and symmetrical. Expert origami folders could fold a model just from looking at the crease patterns. Jenny looked at the fox on her desk and sighed. 
She was far from expert and found intermediate models hard even with good diagrams. There were no such diagrams for the map and she had no idea where to start. Should she start with the longest lines or the shortest ones? She didn't even know if folding was the right thing to do. She sighed. At least the yellowed fabric didn't mind being folded and unfolded, so she would not end up with a giant snowball if she got it wrong. I'll start at the edge, Foxy, she said out loud, and see if that works. The paper fox said nothing, and Jenny got to work.